Hello everyone, it's your real estate guys, Matt Reitzel. And Curtis Reitzel with the Wealth Building with the Purpose show. The place where we talk about everything real estate. With a special focus on wealth building. Let's ride. Hey, how is everybody doing? It's Curtis Reitzel with the Wealth Building with the Purpose show. How's everybody doing on this awesome Monday? Well, I guess you could be listening to this episode on whatever day of the week you choose. Today, it's Monday, so how's everybody doing on this awesome day? This episode, we're going to be talking about the financial model as based out of the millionaire real estate investor by Gary Keller. So let's just jump on into the episode today. Now, I hope, well, I trust that you have been reading along on all the, uh, you know, on on reading The Millionaire Real Estate Investor by Gary Keller. I hope that you went out, you bought a copy or you downloaded the audio book or whatever the case may be. At least you got your hands on some copy of the book. And I, and I really trust that you've been reading it from beginning to end uh, because it is a powerful book. And as Gary Keller goes through the the journey of talking about thinking million and talking about your myth understandings, uh, and and kind of getting the mindset part down, we then jump into the buy a million part of the book, uh, where it's the proven paths to now own a million dollars in market value real estate. And then we step over to uh, own a million, which is how you have a net worth of a million dollars in your real estate investments, and how that looks, the numbers behind it and the philosophy behind that. And then we step over to receive a million dollars a year in passive income from our properties. So he takes us from the beginning mindset, how we need to view things moving forward, all the way to, if we so choose, to receive a million dollars a year uh, in passive income from those investments. Now, um, he's he might be rewriting the book and adding some things to it and one of the things that he's more than likely going to add is the uh receive a million dollars a year in passive income so it goes from think buy own receive and then give a million dollars sorry i think i just said receive again uh and then give a million dollars a year in passive income away so think buy own receive and then give a million and he takes us through the whole path. And I believe he's going to be adding on the give a million part in his next edition of the Millionaire Real Estate Investor. I don't know if he's going to be doing that. I heard some rumors that he might be. So don't get your hopes up either way. The, the book that he has out now is, is, is amazing either way. We don't need another edition. But if he's doing it, Gary, uh, Gary Keller, I really hope that you are. If you are, that would be awesome because I know everything you do, you put you put everything into it, right? So the financial model of how we grow wealth in investment real estate, and let's just jump on into it. There's really two things that happen as we grow our wealth in investment real estate. So it's equity buildup and it's cash flow growth. Now, one thing I want everybody to remember is that there's there's the cash building model and then there's the wealth building model. So these are two separate models. The cash building model is uh, assigning properties, flipping properties, uh, you know, something to build cash. You're not holding. But then the wealth building model is, you know, buy, buy and hold, buy, renovate and hold, buy, renovate, refinance and hold. Like those all fall underneath the, the wealth building model. 
So now we're looking deeper into the wealth building model. And within the wealth building model, we have equity buildup and cash flow growth. So that's where I'm getting at here. Um, a lot of us, and I've noticed this when working with the, you know, the hundreds of investors that we have in our meetup group. Uh, we have over 300 investors in our meetup group. And I've noticed it by all the interviews that we've done with top, top level investors. And just, and just a one-on-one conversations by working with these successful investors as real estate agents. Uh, because this is what we do full-time. We're real estate agents. We own investment properties as well, but this is what we do full-time is we're realtors. And really noticing that a lot of them focus the more so their energy on that equity buildup, which I think is amazing. And the way that the equity buildup happens is through, over time, potential price appreciation and debt pay down. So if you imagine the price appreciation is just kind of you know like a graph, kind of just steadily ticking up over time. Right, because if you're in a stable market, maybe it goes up two or three or four or five or six percent a year, just kind of clicks up over time. And then that debt, if you were imagine an arrow kind of slowly starting to go down, is because the tenants every month are paying their rent, and then you're going to pay off that mortgage that you put on the property to buy it. Thus, you're you're building an equity position, right? Now, this this whole part of the game is gonna have the biggest impact on 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 your net worth statement right and that's where we hear about a lot of investors having a lot of money built in the properties uh is because of this equity buildup that happens over time it's the same thing as you know a client buying a house 30 years ago and now it's paid off free and clear and it's worth you bought it for 300 now it's worth 500 and they have five hundred thousand dollars in equity it's just built into the real estate right it's not in their bank account it's built into the into their house which is awesome so the equity buildup happens over time, uh, kind of regardless of if you want it to happen or not. Because how I look at it is even if prices don't appreciate and you buy a, a property for three, four, five hundred thousand, whatever, whatever the number is, the number really doesn't matter. Is that you're poor, like let's just use the five hundred thousand dollar mark. You're more than likely gonna put, you know, not a hundred percent down. You're probably gonna put you know, 20%, 25%, if you're moving into it as a first-time home buyer, maybe 5% depending on your market or 10% down. Everything varies depending on your market, country that you live in and whatnot. Um, but here, as an investor in Canada and in Kitchener-Waterloo, you're more than likely going to put 20% down. And you're going to get 80% financing through a lender. So a lender is going to give you 80% of that debt. You're going to put your 20% down, and then you're going to secure that 80% debt against the property and then your tenants are going to pay that thing off over 30 years and then your 20 percent is going to grow into the full well it, it's going to grow into the other 80 percent debt that you had on the property so <clears throat> the five hundred thousand dollar purchase example you put 20 percent down which is three hundred thousand you get a four hundred thousand dollar mortgage secure that thing a lot of the times you could secure it for you know 30 year I mean, not secure the interest rate, sometimes secure the interest rate for, you know, two to five years, whatever your situation is, but you amortize it over, over a 30 year period, meaning you're going to pay off that mortgage over 30 years, assuming you don't refinance or whatever the case is, um, but you're going to pay that off. And that's the beautiful thing about real estate that a lot of people sometimes forget about is that $100,000 that I put into the property, right? $500,000 purchase, 20%, 100000 
and then I financed the rest. So I got a $400,000 mortgage. I, I can pretty much know for certain if I have a good tenant and they're paying and they're paying the rent and that I, I buy a good enough property that attracts a good enough tenant that then, you know, the tenants pay their rent. I know that I'm going to turn a hundred thousand dollars into $500,000 in 30 years. Now, I haven't calculated that rate of return. It's probably not the greatest rate of return. Um, but at the end of the day, it is a rate of return. And then in 30 years, it will be paid off. I won't have a mortgage to service anymore. And now I'll have all this cash flow coming in. I'll still have to pay my expenses for sure, but I won't have to service any debt. And I, I just love knowing that, that because a lot of the investors you know, sometimes get caught up in the appreciation game of it. You know, what if prices go up five or 10%, you know, next year, well, then my, you know, my equity buildup is a lot more because the value is more versus, versus my down payment or what I put into the property. And I love all that. And I really do appreciate it. And I like, that's how I look at rate of returns as well. Like I look at the appreciation bit of it as well. I'm to factor in an amazing rate of return. And I typically factor, you know, when I'm doing projections for, you know, you know, for looking at investment properties with clients and for myself, excuse me, I'm typically looking at uh, a 3% appreciation every year. And in our market, it's been six, seven, eight percent right? So I just kind of cut that number in half. And I'm, a, and I'm a definitely a lot more conservative with my underwriting. Uh, but I just want to make sure I'm hitting the returns that I'm looking for. And also, uh, what my clients are looking for, right? So the 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 appreciation part is awesome to think about, but I just like knowing I can turn $100,000 in that example into $500,000 over 30 years. Assuming the value stayed the same over 30 years, I bought it for 500000 and then 30 years later, it's still worth 500000 Values haven't done a thing, but I know that $100,000 that I put into the property turned into 500 because of the tenants paying off that mortgage. I didn't pay off that mortgage, the tenants did. And I and if and if I bought it right, I'm still going to have cash flow beyond the mortgage and expenses the whole time. And that that's powerful to me. Like that's why I really I really think leverage is a powerful vehicle uh, because you can get a return through that debt pay down. And that debt pay down is magical. It's like it's a magical thing. Like I've sat down with clients and I looked at their mortgage statements as we as we review their whole entire portfolio and we look at say, you know, the ten properties that they've had and the, you know, and how over the past five years they've paid off say like in all their properties, like in ten properties for example, um, you know, they paid off like each property over the five years, you know, like they paid off like like 20 to 30 grand or sometimes 40 grand per property. Let's just use a lower number, say 20 grand. And you had 10 of those, 10 of those taken away over five years, you paid off and you built your equity position, $200,000 in debt paid out. Like that's powerful. So the first financial model is equity buildup. It happens because of price appreciation and debt pay down. That's why it happens. The second model is cash flow growth. And not a lot of investors really think about this over time, right? Because, you know, we, we kind of get caught up in the, the price appreciation game. We sometimes can get can get excited about being in a market where prices are, 
are steadily going up and we're making amazing returns and then we're refinancing and pulling money out and buying another property and all that's so exciting and it 100% is very exciting but one thing I feel like a lot of investors that we've spoken with and worked with forget about is well what happens over time well yeah potentially prices appreciate there's a very good chance that they will because everybody needs a place to live but what else appreciates I mean, rent kind of does. Like every year, I mean, rents go up, whether it's half a percent or 3% or 2% or 1%, whatever the percentage is, a lot of the times they they do go up every year. And it depends on the market you're in, for sure. Depends on which stage in, you know, you know, in the cycle of your market you're in, for sure. But that's powerful. I mean, um, there was a townhouse that we bought um, over over two years ago now, and we put tenants in, rented it for thirteen hundred, and I thought that was a like, I thought that was a high number. I was like, geez, we have thirteen hundred. That's crazy. Uh, those tenants stayed in for a full year, um, and then they moved out, and you know they just moved on with life. I think they moved out of the city. I don't even know because um, we have a property management company and then we rented it out to another set of tenants um, and we rented it out for um, for for fourteen fifty. like that was a year and in that year our market really changed because just the supply demand of our market really changed with how the government intervened and put in new financing uh, rules to make it harder for people to buy a home. So then a lot of them got kicked out and, or, um, it was a lot harder to, to make a purchase. So then, um, you know, the rental market really, really had a lot more, a lot more demand in it because there were so many more people that, you know, the financial rules changed. It kicked a lot of buyers out of the, out of the home. I mean, they got the housing market and then it put them right into the rental market. And all of a sudden there was like way more demand and still the same amount of supply of rentals. Because one thing we have to recognize is there's a housing market with buyers and sellers transacting real estate. And there's there's that market, but there's also a rental market, right? Tenants, um, rental units, like there's that market as well. And when the government stepped in and really and really made it tougher for financing for buyers to get financing now i do agree with what they did so don't get me wrong um right but it kicked a lot of them into the it kicked a lot of them into the rental market and all of a sudden the demand for rental units just just really went up and there was still the same amount of supply because the government wasn't really thinking about well, maybe maybe we should make sure there's more supply or incentivize investors to build new multifamily properties so that we can kind of even out this this supply and demand issue in the rental market, right? So that's one thing that happened in our townhouse that was really powerful is we went from thirteen hundred to fourteen fifty, which is an extra hundred and fifty bucks in rent, and that happened in one year, and we didn't do anything to that unit now. Some people could argue that maybe we, you know, maybe we rented the place for a little bit under market. We could have maybe got thirteen fifty, or whatever the case may be, and you know, we rented it quick for thirteen hundred. We can always have that argument for sure, 
but yeah, I mean, like, we had our place up for rent for, you know, I think it was like, you know, like two or three or four weeks or something. And we had, you know, all the lease, I mean, the, all the applications were coming in at 1300 and we felt like that was, that was really fair because that's kind of what the market was, you know, was really, was giving us at that time. And now it's, now it's, you know, fast forward a year later and we re-rented out and we get 1450. Well, what does that do for me? It increases my cash flow because now I'm getting an extra 150 bucks a month. Now I didn't, I didn't do anything to get that. Um, but that's pretty cool. So we have the equity buildup model, which is price appreciation and debt pay down to grow your equity position in your holdings. But we also have cash flow growth, which is rent appreciation uh, in vacancies and expenses, right? So the vacancy, um, well, typically the way that it goes is your vacancy expenses pretty much relatively stay the same throughout the life of the investment property. I know property taxes and insurance and stuff, it goes up, but typically not as quick as uh, as rents appreciate. And then there's a spread. Um, and then over time, then your mortgage gets paid off. And now you have a massive cash flow growth. And actually, that's what the cash flow growth is, is rent appreciation and expenses in the mortgage payment. Sorry, is what I meant to say. Um, they kind of stayed the same throughout the life of the investment, the expenses in the mortgage payment. But then once your mortgage is going to be paid off, well, then your mortgage payment goes from, you know, a big number to, you know, a regular mortgage payment. And then it goes to a non-existent mortgage because it's 30 years or 25 or 20 years later, however long you advertised the mortgage for. And now it's paid off. And now you don't have to service this mortgage. And thus you have this huge cash flow growth that you walk into. And those two factors, the equity buildup and the cash flow growth, both factor in to massive accelerating engines that will grow your wealth uh, to 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 the next level, right? It just takes you to a whole another stratosphere because having both of those engines working for you at the same time, uh, it grows your balance sheet, also grows your passive income, and just thus grows your financial empire so so like so much more uh, quick. Um, so to end it off, the motto is buy it right, pay it down and pay it off. And to me, you know, a lot of investors will have, you know, a conversation with me about this and say, you know, I like, I don't understand, you know, why say our cousin Jeff is paying off all of his investment properties and he's not, he's not continuing to refinance and access, um, the money because Curtis, I know you always talk about how powerful debt is. You know, like you talk about how you can grow your equity through through debt pay down, how powerful it is. And yeah, it is extremely powerful, but you can't knock somebody for owning real estate free and clear. Like that's like that's a really cool position to be in and owning multiple, 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 like dozens and dozens and dozens of properties free and clear is an amazing place to be. Now, recognizing that a lot of those investors that own dozens and dozens and you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of, of real estate paid off, a lot of them don't care that they're not leveraged, that they're not, you know, that money isn't going to grow as much. Because a lot of them just love, love that huge amount of cash flow that just comes in every month because you don't have to service any mortgages. And they like knowing that if the, you know, that the real estate goes up in value, I mean, the overall portfolio of real estate goes up in value. They love knowing that they're going to get their, 
you know, they're going to build their money through that appreciation. Um, but they're cool with not getting that debt paid down, right? We all have different seasons of wealth, of wealth building. And, you know, for, you know, for me at a younger stage, I'm more in, you know, wealth accumulation, right? Um, you know, and forever, I'm, I, I'm forever in wealth education, for sure, forever in wealth education, and not just financially, but also in spiritual uh, matters, mental matters, my physical, you know, physical life, my friends, everything, right? But it's so powerful. But I'm a wealth education, then I'm on wealth accumulation, you know, and then there's, and then there's wealth. Um, I mean, they're pretty much giving it all away, right? Like wealth distribution. And sorry, it's wealth preservation, and then it's wealth distribution. And a lot of investors that have a lot of investment real estate paid off for free and clear no mortgages they're 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 in wealth preservation like they're they're more than happy with what they have and they don't necessarily need their real estate to go um to grow at accelerated rates through that debt they're just happy to have all this real estate paid off free and clear and have this huge cash flow come in every month right so anyways, that was the financial model of equity buildup and cash flow growth. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out. My email is in the description in this podcast episode below. Um, so always, as per usual, shoot me an email if you have a question. I love going back and forth with you guys. Uh, it really fires me up. So anyways, it's Curtis Wright. So well, building with the purpose. Have a great day.